Hey, it's Kathy. Today we're sharing a story from our friends at Rework Radio from the UCLA Labor Center. It follows a Punjabi taxi driver named Javed as he shares the journey he made from Pakistan to New York City, seeking political asylum, becoming a reggae DJ, then working as a taxi driver. If you heard our bonus episode on the New York taxi workers' hunger strike, this piece about Javed will show you just one of the origin stories of that movement. Thanks for listening. From the UCLA Labor Center in KPFK, you're listening to Rework. I'm Sabah Wahid. And I'm Stephanie Ratopper. Rework is the redesign of Henry Walton's legendary 19-year show, Labor Review. Each week, we bring you real stories that rethink work. When you get into a taxi, you usually know where you're coming from, where you're going, and what you'll do when you get there. But what about your taxi driver? Someone whose work is in constant motion, moving from destination to destination, meeting new people by the hour. What was the road that brought him to this moment? What is the journey he'll take next? This week on Rework, join us on this journey as we travel with Javed on the road that brought him to drive cabs in New York City. I met Javed 10 years ago, and whenever I would hear snippets of his story, I had a feeling he had something more to tell. Javed has long salt and pepper hair tied back in a ponytail, a beaded silver necklace and bracelets that clink when he talks, gesturing emphatically with his hands. He grew up in a small agricultural town in Punjab, Pakistan called Pakpatan that grew cotton, corn, and grain. From such a small, quiet town, Javed had a thirst for adventure, even as a small child. He was always testing the limits of what he was allowed to do. I remember that when I was uh, nine-year-old, my parents uh, went to Mecca for a Hajj, and they took me and my brother and sister, and we went to Karachi, and from Karachi we had to take a, a ship to go to Saudi Arabia. As I entered in the ship, I just started exploring the ship and I got lost because it was a huge and I was just a little boy. It was enthusiastic for me to see that big ship and I never saw before in my life. Then I started crying because I got lost. My father was mad at me that you have to be with the elders. You shouldn't have to go alone. And it is not right for you. You don't understand. But as much more my father was stopping me, I was getting, I was trying to more explore. So because my family was kind of a religious and simple family, they were sending me to the mosque to pray, but I was uh, running around to go to cinema to watch a movie because many times we have two cinema in our uh, city and uh, the cinema owners uh, know my father and whenever he saw me in cinema he called my father and my father come on a bike and slap me, put me on bike and bring me home. His rebellious streak continued when he got to college and his parents decided it was time for him to get married. My parents wanted to marry to my cousin for arranged marriage and I didn't want it. So my father knew that uh, I like to be, have a motorbike 
So he bought me a motorbike as a bribery that might be, I will understand him. I took my motorbike and uh, ran away from home. And I end up uh, with circus people. I start learning uh, riding motorbike in a well of death. Like doing that circus, you drive motorbike on the walls. So one time they figure out uh, where I am. They came two o'clock night, catch me from the circus, and tie me to bring back to my city. And next day I was married. It was also at the university that his rebelliousness sparked an interest in politics. He recalls one incident that first opened his eyes to the political workings of his country. When he was young, his uncle got very sick, and he and his parents had to travel to get him medical care. He was a very poor guy, he was a little small farmer. And we took him uh, to the Saival, his neighbor city, which has a, a big hospital. And uh, it's uh, 30 miles away from my town. And we went to that hospital. He was very sick, but uh, there was no bed available. And there I realized the people who were occupying those uh, hospital beds, they were not even sick. They were just uh, having a furlough from their jobs, occupying that uh, hospital bed. And they put... Uh, his bed outside in, uh, in open air. What Javed is describing was commonplace at the time. In Punjab, temperatures are extremely high, often reaching 115 degrees at the peak of summer. Hospitals, though, had air conditioning. That afternoon, Javed encountered wealthier people who had dropped in to cool off from the heat, taking up beds regardless of the fact that others waited for care. And there I realized that the whole big difference is... Uh, Culturally and uh, powerful people are more powerful and poor are more poor. There things comes in my mind that uh, I have to fight back for justice because it is uh, not right. Javed continuously referred to his country as overrun by feudal lords. Pakistan is a predominantly agricultural country, and yet the land distribution reflects the stark differences between the haves and the have-nots. 5% of landowners own 64% of the country's farmland. These differences did not seem right to Javed. And so, by the time he reached college, he was active in politics, reading Mao's Red Book, inspired by student organizing, and taking to heart Prime Minister Zulfikar Bhutto's slogan, Food, Clothing, and Shelter. Our country is a very rich country. We have all kinds of resources, we have all kinds of land, we have all four weathers, but... uh, Richer are richer and poorer are poor. And uh, so that's why I become uh, very much active in a student politics. He dove deep into school and party politics. He was young and unstoppable, and he wanted his voice to be heard. But the times were changing, and so were the country's politics. Zia Alhaq had declared martial law and ousted Prime Minister Bhutto. One day, while Javed was in his hometown, the FIA the Federal Investigative Agency, an agency similar to the FBI, picked him up and arrested him. They never filed any formal charges against him. They detained Javed for three weeks. I remember they were always uh, shackled, uh, like 10 of us in one big rod, putting in a hand, and then, uh, or they were uh, 
they were laying all night over there in daytime they were shekelas going to field to um, go to toilet or pee and then they roll over their big sticks on our thighs and different kind of tricks that are not uh, visually the, uh, that you can see their gut injured but uh, internal injuries that kind of trick they were uh, torture them yeah ek hashr baba hai ghar ghar mein dam ghutta hai gumbade pe dar mein Finally, his father had no choice but to pay out bribes to get him released. This incident shook Javed to the core, and he decided to leave the country. Germany gave him asylum, so he packed his bags and left. There, he took classes in German and tried working at various factory jobs. A whole new world opened to him as he dove into the adventure of living in a new country and absorbing all that it had to offer. I was like a hippie type, just a free soul. And one day I was watching TV. I saw on the TV there was playing Bob Marley's music because Bob Marley was sick and he was in a hospital in England and he died at that night. That night in Germany they played all night his music. And when I heard his music, get up, stand up, stand up for your eyes. I got uh, in love with that music. Get up, stand up, stand up for your eyes. Get up, stand up, stand up for your eyes. I've become a big fan of reggae music, and uh, I start up. Uh, I already had long hair because I always uh, loved my long hair. and so i stopped uh, coming them and they, they become a dreadlocks and i was uh, all day long riding um, on my roller shoes and uh, just listening reggae music i got into uh, very deeply in reggae music and i was uh, like uh, working as a dj in a reggae club in germany for 2 years His education expanded out of the classroom and he encountered a growing left movement in Germany. He read about Che Guevara, Fidel Castro and Marxism. He became more lefty, experiencing intellectual growth and getting involved in local student movements. I was more and more getting angry about injustice and I got involved with other students doing some protest over there and learning more about Shigivara and Shigivara is my second hero after Bombarle. <laughs> He started making a living as a DJ, living life on roller shoes and reggae without too much thought about where this would lead him. Back home, he was the eldest of 14 kids and the first son. Culture and society had laid a clear path that he was expected to take on. He would return to Pakistan. He would take his position as the head of the family and he would run his father's business. So when in 1988 Ziel Hook was killed in a mysterious plane crash the possibility of his return became a reality. Benazir Bhutto, the daughter of the former prime minister Bhutto, had returned from exile and had taken over as prime minister. The government dropped the charges that they had filed against him while he was abroad. After 8 years of living in Germany, Javed returned home. 
as a Rasta man with a soul full of reggae. I was totally different with long dreadlocks. I had a backpack uh, hanging on my back and big cloth poster on my backpack of Bob Marley and my roller shoes was hanging with uh, my backpack. When I went home, nobody could uh, recognize me. They saw what the heck is uh, this. And when they, I take out my hat, and they saw my dreadlocks, my father was furious. And I have old jeans, and you know, and at that time, hardly people know. They were just saying, it's, uh, like I'm a follower of uh, hippies and so what. Javed's father was furious. This was not the son he had sent away, nor the model he expected from his eldest son. And after two, three days, uh, he was pushing me to go and cut your hair. I said, no way, I, I'm not going to cut my hair. I love my dreadlocks. And because I was, in my dreadlocks, I was feeling that soul of uh, reggae music. And uh, while I was sleeping, he took a scissor and he cut the tens of uh, my dreadlocks. And when I woke up, I put my hand on my head and my dreadlocks was gone. And that was a very, very sad time for me. It was like uh, when Samson lost his hair, he lost his uh, power. And when I lost my dreadlocks, I lost my soul. Meanwhile, the political system in Pakistan was once again in turmoil. After just a few years in power, the president dismissed Benazir Bhutto from her position. Javed stayed away from politics, knowing that if he spoke up, police could easily detain him again. I never put myself, involved myself in any kind of politics, and I was just uh, could not bear, because I saw the difference between one culture and other culture, and I saw the humanity how people have uh, rights and uh, how people are uh, living in good condition in another country. And there is a check and balance, but in my country there was no check and balance and uh, it was in the hand of feudals and uh, bureaucrats. And um, then uh, in 1990 I left again uh, my country because I didn't want to be in that condition where I have uh, always a fear that if any if I speak up loud and any other government come, I will be arrested again. So Javed left Pakistan again. He knew one person in New York and decided to take a chance and go to the U.S. His roundabout journey took him to Dubai, then Egypt. From there, he boarded a plane to LAX. When Javed arrived at the airport, he walked straight up to customs. They looked at his passport, an obvious fake, and looked back at him, bewildered. They wanted to report me. I said, no, I don't want to go back. You want to arrest me? Okay, go ahead. So they arrested me at the airport. They took to one room, and it was not only me. There was hundreds of people from different countries. So then they took us to detention center, and there was hundreds of people from all over the world who was uh, trying to enter in America. A lawyer came to me while daytime. I don't know what he's talking about because I was not a... Uh, uh, understanding a lot of English. He got me some signature, and he left. And after uh, 10 days, they announced some names. I said, yes, okay, come down. We came downstairs. They put us in a van. And then uh, around 10 o'clock night, they stopped somewhere that van. 
and they said to everybody, come out. And then said, okay, goodbye. So where we should go? They said, whatever you want, you are free. Just like that, immigration authorities dropped off Javed on the side of the road. Not knowing what to do next, he befriended another Pakistani woman in the group who took him to her relative's house. They fed him and a few hours later dropped him off at the airport. Javed took a plane to New York. It was there that his new life in the U.S. began. He moved to the Bronx. His first job was as a perfume salesman, earning $2.25 an hour and working 14-hour days, seven days a week. After that, he found work in construction making $40 a day for 10-hour workdays. It was a new adventure, and he began to explore the city. My interest was uh, different than other my Pakistani friends. I, was, uh, I liked to see the culture. I liked to go to explore places. I was going to museum. I was going to Center Park to listen to music. I was just all the time, in my free time, I was wandering there. And... Uh, Sometime I was sitting in a cafe, I was writing in Urdu. Um, whatever I see here back home, one of my friend, he has a one Urdu magazine, and so I was writing in his magazine. But uh, I was thinking to be a journalist, but my English was very poor. I cannot become a journalist. So I thought uh, to do a photography. His interest in photography is what finally led him to the world of taxi driving. One day, he came across a newspaper headline. I saw a newspaper, and the headline of newspaper, there was over 50 photographs of deceased cab drivers. And among them, majority of cab drivers were South Asian, Pakistani, Indians. And those cab drivers who got killed on a job. Then it uh, stuck in my mind to do my photography project on cab drivers. And uh, I just don't want it to be a portfolio of cab drivers. I just want it to be go deeply. If what happened? What kind of this job is? How dangerous this job is? And uh, what happened if one driver got killed on a job? Because he is uh, half world away, working hard and earning uh, money to send back home to feed their, his kids. And uh, when he died, who send money to their kids. I just didn't want to do, go out and talking to them and taking their photographs. I wanted to explore it. So I made my hack lessons and I started driving cab by myself and having my camera with me all the time. And so started Javed's career as a taxi driver. But driving a cab wasn't easy. Most drivers can't afford a medallion. What's a medallion? If you've been in a New York City cab, you might recognize it. It's that triangle-shaped sign on the top of the cab that certifies it to go on the road as a taxi. Each one costs around a million dollars. So drivers have to lease the medallion through an intermediary company. In addition, they need to pay for the car, the gas, and the maintenance. 
Javid would spend the first six or seven hours just trying to break even before he could even start to earn for himself. Driving a taxi in New York City is considered a second highest stressful job. It's uh, 60 times more likely to be killed on the job and 80 times more likely to be robbed on the job. And uh, you don't have any kind of benefits. It's the only job in which you start with negative money. Any job you go, you just work, and at the end of work, you get paid. But this is the job, before you start, you pay from your own pocket. Driver end up making $20, he end up making $40, or he end up making $100. That's depend on his luck, and that depend on his hard work. And then there were the drunk passengers. When you are in a, sitting in a bar, you are drinking, keep drinking, paying your money over there, but when the bouncers see that now you are going to knock down, they just hail a cab, put him in our cab. When now we are responsible to take him as a home. But we even don't know where we have to take him. They fell asleep or they puke in a car. And uh, we cannot lock them inside. Sometimes we call to the police and police take hours to come there. Maximum they just tell to this guy, get out from our cab. And that gives just a little bit of insight into driving a cab. While in most other jobs, if things go really wrong, you have a company to complain to, or at least a boss. Driving a taxi, you're on your own. Though each driver pays a company to lease the cab and the medallion, that company has no responsibility to help when a driver doesn't break even, or when a driver gets sick, gets robbed, held up at gunpoint or even killed. What's more, Javed saw that average people who got into his cab would treat him differently. You feel yourself not a human, you feel yourself as a pariah of New York. Like people see you in a different way. You drive your private car, it's different. But when you are driving a yellow cab, people treat you different. This country, there was a slavery for 400 years. It is not easy to change people's mind. And people see us as immigrants. Oh, you don't speak English? Of course I speak, but I didn't go to college. Oh, get the heck out of here. Go to back your country. And then, during one of his shifts, Javed met Bairavi Desai who directed the New York Taxi Workers Alliance. She passed him a flyer and encouraged him to come to a meeting. He went and signed up on the spot. At the time, the Alliance was on the verge of taking on the city of New York. Mayor Giuliani was stiffening taxi regulations. He proposed new penalties, increased fees, a probationary period, and drug tests. All in all, 17 new rules. The Alliance saw how difficult it would be for the taxi drivers to possibly meet all these new requirements. They planned a one-day work action, a day when no cabs would come into the city, demanding the mayor to meet with them to negotiate the rules. It was an effort that seemed impossible. They had just 500 members. They had no political clout. No one had even heard of them. But Javid was inspired, and he jumped into the effort full force. For two years leading up to the action, he joined Baravi to organize taxi workers. Going to airports to find drivers, visiting late-night food stands and catching drivers at gas stations during shift changes. This is a 
very tirelessly, 24-7, we were into organizing, organizing, and organizing. So I was spending more time organizing and just uh, working to have uh, food on my table and pay my rent. And that's why I could not continue my photography and instead of being a photojournalist, I become an organizer. And then the day the action arrived. Javed woke up early the morning of May 13, 1998, and he wasn't sure what to expect. We were thinking that, oh, maybe 65-60% going to be a strike. But when I left my home, I took a train to go to city at Penn Station, and uh, I didn't see any yellow color on uh, 59th Street Bridge going to city, because yellow color, wherever you go, you see yellow color. That was the day that city was colorless. And when we, I reached to Penn Station, usually at uh, 6 o'clock morning, there are uh, hundreds of cabs on that 7th Avenue next to the Penn Station. When I went there, I never saw a single cab there. People was lining up on there, and it surprised everybody. The 1998 strike was historic. The city was empty of its 12,000 cabs. It showed the mayor that drivers were willing to speak up and work together to create change. Giuliani continued to target drivers after that, but the Alliance continued to fight back for years. They won a historic fare increase for drivers, created a driver's bill of rights, developed a health and wellness fund, and took on unscrupulous cab companies. Now, 15 years later, the Taxi Workers Alliance claims 17,000 members, over a third of all drivers in the city, and have been supporting taxi drivers to organize in cities all around the country, as well as building relationships with taxi worker groups around the world. In September of 2011, the National Taxi Workers Alliance made history by becoming the first worker center to become formally included in the AFL-CIO. I cannot imagine that... uh, Grow up in that small city, could not complete my education. And there I was sitting in White House uh, having a dinner with uh, President Obama. Here I'm sitting in a big convention hall in AFL-CIO. Convention, getting uh, recognition. Javed may not have chosen the road his father had paved for him to stay in Pakistan, to take over the family's business. Instead, his spirit took him someplace he never expected. It's something he could never have imagined, but he wouldn't have it any other way. When I was listening, uh, first time I listened to that uh, song, Get Up, Stand Up, Stand Up For Your Rights, it really gave me a big strength. And uh, nothing is impossible. If you think on positive way, you can do if you really want. So if you have courage, if you have some dedication, and you want to bring some justice, just do it. Don't fear it. There is no way that one day you will succeed. And this I saw with my own example. Today, I really feel very, very much proud of myself that, uh, okay, I could not uh, become a journalist because my English was not good. I could not become a photojournalist because I could not afford but at least I become an organizer and I'm helping a lot. It is uh, really bringing some changes in other person's lives. So 
unite yourself, fight for yourself, and never fear. You can do it. Javed continues as an organizer. He drives a cab once a week. To stay in touch with drivers, he tells us. Preacher man, don't tell me Heaven is under the earth I know you don't know What life is really worth This show covered the New York Taxi Workers Alliance. Just recently, at the 2013 AFL-CIO conference, the delegate selected Baravi Desai to become the first South Asian woman and the first worker center representative to serve on the executive council of the AFL-CIO. Thanks to Javed Tariq for sharing his story with us. To learn more about the Alliance, please visit nytwa.org. You're listening to Rework, a program of the UCLA Labor Center and KPFK. This week's show was produced by Stephanie Ritopper, Sabohid, Obi-Wan, and Asif Ahmed. Music supervision by Francisco Garcia-Nava. We continue to hold on to Henry Walton and the Labor Review's central principle of solidarity. And we now have a Facebook page, so please like us. Find us at forward slash Rework Radio. You can also tweet your reactions to this show to at UCLA Labor, or send us an email at rework at irle.ucla.edu. Until next time, Rethink, rework. Stand up, stand up, stand up for your right.